Take your Bibles to Genesis 43 this morning. And while you are turning there, I want to ask you to join in prayer for um, some things happening here in our town. So how many of you have heard of LifeWise, the, uh, the, the nonprofit that is involved in um, bringing Bible education into the school district and doing it in a very legal and a right way? Um, right now in Johnstown, we have a motivated group of people who are led by a, a pretty sharp uh, organizing committee who are trying to get this into the Johnstown schools. And at every turn, I think it's fair to say, they have been met with resistance. At every turn. And I want to share with you, because I've noticed this week, because I am just a social media monitor. <laughs> Not really. But I want to share with you the misinformation that's going around, even in our own town. And there's plenty of it to go around. And I believe, I, and I'm going to put... I'm going to put um, Kate on the spot. I believe LifeWise is in, the, is in the process of coming into Northridge as well, right? And they're not meeting as much resistance there. Not, not, not nearly as much as they're meeting in, North, or in Johnstown. But this is, I want to read to you the Johnstown existing school policy. This is a matter of record in Johnstown, okay? This is not something that we're asking or that people are asking for Johnstown to change their policy on. Actually, we're going to ask you to pray that they'll live by the policies that they have already written. The policy says this, upon the signed request of a student's parent, the board will allow exceptions to the student's continuous attendance at school for religious instruction outside the school building by an authorized church or religious organization for no more than 120 minutes per week. For attendance purposes, the student shall be considered to be in attendance at school during such religious instruction. That sounds pretty cut and dried to me. And our school board and our superintendent are resisting it and fighting it hard. And you say, what do you mean they're fighting it hard? Well, right now they're fighting it hard by stalling. And, and so I'm going to ask you to pray and pray specifically about something that's coming up. A week from tomorrow night, Monday, October 9th, there's a Board of Education meeting here in Johnstown. I'm informing you of when it is and asking you to pray, and I'm asking you to consider attending this Board of Education meeting. If you have kids in, in Johnstown schools, this is vitally important to you. Um, they're looking to start just a trial program of just taking first graders First graders whose parents will sign a permission slip, allow them to leave during their lunch hour, not miss any education time, not miss PE, not miss anything. All they would be missing is recess or they would be missing or a lunch time which they would be able to eat their lunch here. That's all they're asking for. And they're meeting a lot of resistance. So the Board of Education meeting will be uh, a week from Monday night at 5 o'clock where three people, and I don't know why, but I've asked to be one of the three people, will be addressing the school board. We're given three minutes each to, to address, 
and we'll be dealing with this issue from a legality point of view, but I intend to, as I've been praying about it, to deal from it from, from just a, a point of view of this is, this is well within our constitutionality, and it's well within our prerogative, and it's well within the school board policy and guidelines. And I'm just asking you to pray for God's good favor. Would you be willing to do that? Um, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, and if the king's heart is in his hands, I'm sure just the school board hands and the school board superintendent, too, are in his hands as well. So I'm asking you to pray about that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 43 this morning. Genesis chapter 43. One more thing on that. If you want more information about light flies and what they do and how you could be even more involved, Cindy, wave your hand. Cindy Reed is sitting over there. She is, she is on this, this active committee that is working right now to get this into our schools, and she has, she's a wealth of knowledge on this. Um, she's filled my email inbox this week in a good way with good stuff <laughs> to keep me informed as to what's going on. So um, if you have questions about that, talk to Cindy. Genesis 43 this morning. And I am just going to make an admission to you this morning. This, this part of the book of Genesis is my absolute favorite. This is, this is such good stuff. The account of Joseph and the, the, his brothers is absolutely one of my favorite stories and accounts in all of Scripture. And what I would say in my mind is, is that in, as I think about Joseph, he is one of my very favorite men in the, all of the scriptures. He, he's an amazing guy. He's a man of character. He's a man of wisdom. He's a strong man in the best sense. And what do I mean by that? I think today we have this notion that strong men have to be like this, you know. Joseph was a strong man in that he stood strong on his convictions. He was a changed man. And he, he was changed early on in his life by having his pride humbled, by having hard circumstances, and by ultimately God's hand in his life, he left Joseph a different man. And I pray that for every man in our church, that, that your encounter with God would leave you a changed man. Isn't that a good prayer? Joseph is a changed man because of what he has experienced with Almighty God. He's a man, ultimately, that points us to Jesus. In many ways, Joseph is a man that if we would just men follow the pattern of living that, that he lived, would point us directly to Jesus Christ. And in our text today, we're going to see that God is still at work to change hearts. We just sang, His mercy is more. And, and we're going to see where God's mercy plays into this account here this morning. Be really honest with you, it's tempting to skip chapter 43 as just kind of like these are minor details and let's get to the good stuff in chapter 44 and chapter 45. Well, in the next two weeks, we'll get to the good stuff. And Dave is going to be preaching next week on chapter 44, and then Paul is going to be preaching on chapter 45. They get to what I would call the really good stuff in terms of the, the, the fairy tale ending of this. But it, it would be really wrong for us, and it would be really, really detrimental to us if we skipped to the happily ever after part and didn't get the lessons that are here for us in chapter 43. And so I'm going to pray, 
And then we're going to read chapter 43, and we have a very short amount of time to get through this chapter. So I'm going to ask you to buckle up with me and, and stick with me as we go through chapter 43, but let's pray. Father, you are a God of mercy. You pursue our hearts to make change in us even when we are not pursuing you. You, you pursue us to make change for your glory and for our good. And so this morning, I don't know whose hearts you're pursuing in this room, but I know this, you are a God that pursues hearts, and you are a God who's full of mercy. We also know this, that your word is truth. And so we're asking that this morning you would take the truth of your word, that you would drive it deep into our hearts so that we might be fruitful in every good work. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother with us, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What, what, we, could, what we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to his father, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then you can then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. And carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. 
And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He is alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians." They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Only God writes a story like that, amen? Only God writes a story like that. So let's unpack it this morning. What I first want you to see is, is that we don't know how much time takes place at the, from the end of chapter 42 to, to chapter 43. But they've burned through all the food that they brought back. And the famine is still going on. And, and that's, make no mistake, now it's severe, 43 verse 1. The famine is severe. And, and, and when we think about this, when we consider this, Jacob and his family are still in the same bad circumstance that God had placed them in from the beginning. They're still in this same bad circumstance, and I would submit to you that this is a merciful circumstance that God has them in. They don't feel the mercy right now, but it's a merciful circumstance. And I would say this to you, and, and it's so often, I don't know if you're like me in this, how many of you, when you get in a bad circumstance, you are begging for that circumstance to be over? You that way? Like, get me out of this now. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. And I don't know if the brothers came back and maybe Jacob had in the back of his mind, okay, we went down to Egypt one time. I didn't really want to do this, but we went down one time. We got the grain that, that, we, that we needed, and, and maybe we can just ride this thing out, and maybe we'll just get through this. You know what? When God's at work drawing people to himself, he will keep the heat up on circumstances, will he not? He will keep the heat turned up. He will keep the circumstances rolling. He will, he will keep that pressure on us that's designed to conform us to be more like Christ. He'll keep it turned up red hot sometimes, and he's doing it here. And what we see by God's mercy and grace is we start to see change of, changing of hearts here. And the first heart that we see changed is Judah's heart. Now, when we last met Judah, this guy was a scoundrel at best, was he not? When we last saw him back in chapter 38, he was making a total mess of it with, with the way he was handling his sons. He had sinned against God, and he had sinned directly against his daughter-in-law, Tamar. But God is at work not just to reunite 
Benjamin and Joseph, but he's at work to reunite all of the brothers with Joseph and reunite the father. And many times, many times, and I and I've brought this out before, but I want you to see it again here. Often when we are involved in a circumstance that we don't like to be in, when we feel that pressure that God's putting on our lives, we make it all about us, don't we? We make it all about us. Like, why are you doing this to me? What are you up to here, God? And God is subtly working, and not just in our lives, but in other people's lives all around us. Notice how Judah is affected by this personally, and how he has changed. Verse 2, Jacob says, out of food, go back to Egypt, get us more food. And normally at this point, we would expect the oldest brother Reuben to speak up, wouldn't we? But, but Reuben doesn't this time. It's Judah, number four in the order. He speaks up and he says to his father very directly in verse three, hey, that guy down in Egypt made it very clear, unless we bring the other brother down with us, we're not getting any food, we're not seeing him. And so basically what he's saying to his dad is this, unless you're willing to part with Benjamin and let him go with us, this is going to be a fruitless trip. In fact, I'm not going. Like, whoa. It's pretty direct, isn't it? Pretty direct. I'm not going to go, and in fact, the rest of us aren't going to go unless you're willing to send Benjamin. So then you have Jacob doing Jacob things in verse 6, don't you? You see him there? And look at verse 6, and tell me that doesn't sound kind of whiny. Doesn't it? It's like, why did you treat me so badly? And, and, and here is what Jacob is doing. Jacob is doing exactly what you and I do whenever we meet hard and, and hard circumstances in our lives. We make it all about us, don't we? Like, why did you guys do this to me when I sent you to Egypt to go get us food? Why did you do this to me? Well, there's a logical answer, and they give him the answer in verse 7. Hey, you weren't there with us. This guy asked us direct questions, and who are we to lie to him? And how did we know that he was going to say, okay, you have another brother. Bring him back down to Egypt next time you come. The answers kind of prompt Judah then to go even further. And this is where I think we really see the heart change in Judah. He says this, look at verse 8, send the boy with me. We'll go that we may not live and die, both we and you and our little ones. And he says, I'll be the pledge of his safety. I will take responsibility for Benjamin. Do you suppose that Judah has some regrets that he didn't take responsibility for Joseph a long time ago? And, and here now, Judah is wrestling through this, and, and he understands, yes, this is Rachel's son, and I get it, this is your favorite son, and, and I didn't do well, I didn't honor your favorite son before, in fact, I dishonored him, I will be the pledge of his safety. And he goes as far as to say this, if I don't bring him back, then you can hold it on my head the rest of my life. There's really not much here for Judah to gain, is there, in doing this? There, there's, there's not much for him to gain other than the fact that, that, that you know, he's going to get some food out of this. But, but really, there's a lot of risk in this. 
There's a lot of risk. But he's willing to do it. And then he throws this little dig in in verse 10. This is like the classic husband line to the wife. If we had not delayed, we'd have been returned twice now. Like, like, you know, if you would just speed it up here, Dad, we could have been down and back two times now. Which tells us this, that Jacob is waffling big time, isn't he? This, this whole process here is a matter of weeks that's going on here where Jacob is waffling. And we see Judah's heart begin to change and he, he addresses his father very directly here. And he takes responsibility for, for a younger brother that he didn't do before. And then Israel, Jacob, says this. If it must be so, verse 11, then do this. And what he does is, he now prepares a gift. Now, what's interesting to me, there are so many ironies in this text. This is one of the little ironies that just came out to me. And I don't know if you find this interesting, but I do. i got to point this out to you. Keep your finger here and go back to chapter 37. If you, in verse 11, it says this, we're going to take down a present of balm and honey and gum and myrrh and pistachios and almonds. Go back to chapter 37. God is a God of details. When the, when the caravan came through that took Joseph to Egypt, look down with me in chapter 37 and, and look at verse 25 and notice what they're carrying. Do you see it there? Gum, balm, and myrrh. I would submit to you that Jacob, Jacob's suge- suggestion of taking this gift is a further way of God prompting the consciences of his son. They knew what was on that caravan some 20 plus years ago whenever they sold their brother to those traders. And this is God's grace working on them. This is God's mercy working on their hearts because God will not let them alone until he brings them to a point of reconciliation. That is a merciful God. And so even the gift that they take is, 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 a, is a convicting thing in these brothers' minds. And so as they head down, notice that Jacob has had a change of heart here also in terms of verse 12. He prepares them to make restitution. He says, take double the money. Take double the money. Make sure that we make sure that we let this guy know that we are going to pay all of our debts, okay? We're, we're not trying to take advantage of him. And then finally in verse 13, he says this. Take also your brother and arise and go to the man. Here's what God does. God puts us in circumstances where we inexplicably, often from our point of view, we have to admit, I don't have control over this. Doesn't he? And here's what he's doing. Jacob all along has had this one thing that he hasn't been able to control. And what's the one thing? I'm going to keep Jacob with me, right? It's the one area of his life where he has control. Have you, some of you in this room like to have control, don't you? You know who you are. You have very orderly lives. Your desk at work is just so. You're disgusting to me. <sighs> You like to have order, you like to have control, and you believe in controlling the controllables, don't you? Control people, though, 
have big issues too, don't they? Because the, the battle that they fight is, is God really in control more or am I in control, right? And, and, and those of us that have those control issues, we, we wrestle with this idea of, is God really doing this or am I controlling God in this? Well, I think Jacob was getting to that point where he's like, okay, I'll do this and I'll do this, but the one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to part with Benjamin. God, you've taken Joseph from me. You've taken Rachel from me. You are not going to take Benjamin from me. And here's what God does. He says, yes, I am. You will not be in control. I will be in control. You say, that sounds rather harsh, Dan. No, that's God's mercy. God could have let Jacob be a control freak the rest of his life and he'd have missed out on so many blessings. God steps in and he says, you're not in control anymore. And it's in verse 14 that I think we begin to see the change in Jacob's heart. Notice the prayer that he makes. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This is an interesting prayer. Words matter and the people who, saying, who are saying the words, it really matters here. Keep your finger here and go back with me to chapter 17. Go back to chapter 17. Because Jacob refers in his prayer to God as God Almighty. El Shaddai. That's who he's calling him, El Shaddai. When God entered into covenant with Abraham, this is the name that he used to describe himself. Look at chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. I am Almighty God. And then he enters into covenant with him. He says, walk before me and be blameless that I make make covenant with you. This is the name that, that had been passed on to Isaac, that had been given to Jacob. This is our covenant-keeping God. And now Jacob is praying to this covenant-keeping God and he's saying this, God, I'm invoking the covenant. I'm invoking the covenant here that you made with us. And yeah, I've made a total mess of it. And, and, and our family has made a total mess of this. But God, you are a covenant-keeping God. And I am appealing to that. And he asks for the only thing that he can rightfully ask for. Look with me. Chapter 43. What does he pray for? He prays for mercy. He prays for mercy. This is a significant prayer, and, 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 and now he's praying for mercy. He's in a desperate situation. His family's in a desperate situation, and he pleads for the one thing that they desperately need. God, we just need your mercy. Have you ever been to that point with God? God, I need you to be merciful. Mercy is God in his tender love and compassion not giving to us what we deserve. Jacob knows what they deserve. Do you know what you deserve? Church, do you know what you deserve? Are, are you sure you know what you deserve? Then every day ought to be a plea for mercy to God. Or shouldn't it be? I just need your mercy, God. I know what I deserve. But because you are a, a, a God who has tender love and compassion, I am appealing to your mercy. And that's what Jacob is doing here. He's appealing to God's mercy. He realizes the, desperate of this, the desperateness of this situation 
And I would submit to you, God, is, God loves Jacob and his family enough to keep them in this terrible situation so that he can show himself to be the God of mercy to them. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I'm going to keep you here just so that you can see my mercy, just so that you can experience it. I want to camp here, but I can't. Stupid clock. So the brothers get down to Egypt, right? And when they get there, they're given a dinner invitation. But I want you just to jump in to the human experience of verse 16 for a second. When Joseph saw Benjamin, when Joseph saw Benjamin, this was a test he had given them, right? And, and, and there's a flood of emotions that come into Joseph's heart. One emotion is, my brothers passed the test that I gave them. Joseph, Joseph determined that he was going to test them in this way, and he finds out a couple important pieces of information. One, Benjamin truly is alive. They haven't been lying to me, and he looks good. He looks healthy, but can you imagine this is his brother by blood? And can you imagine the emotion of him not having seen his brother for years? And now Joseph is going to go into action. And he invites them to his house for dinner. And look at verse 18. Their response might seem odd to you. If I get invited to an, an important official's house, I might be nervous about that, but I also might be like, this is cool. I'm getting to go to, I'm getting to, go to Joseph's house. We're going to have a really good dinner. No, they're afraid. You say, why are they afraid? Well, here's why. It was known during this time of history that Egyptian officials kept their own special private dungeons in their house. And notice verse 18. They're afraid because it's, be, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time, which we brought in, that he may assault us and fall upon us. In other words, they know they deserve to be incarcerated. They didn't steal it, but they know by law down there they deserve to be incarcerated. And so what did they do? Verse 19, these proud boys of Jacob, these sons, these, if you will, these princes uh, of Canaan, if you will, they now are left and reduced to going to appeal to a slave. You see it there? They went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it back with us and we brought down other money. In other words, please, we have the money. We can repay you. Don't throw us into the prison. Don't throw us into the dungeon. And notice his response. He replied, and the Hebrew word is shalom. He responds, shalom to you, peace to you. Now, that should strike you as odd that a Hebrew would reply with, with a traditional Hebrew phrase of greeting. That should strike you as odd, but that should tell you something about the kind of man that Joseph was. You say, what do you mean by that, P.D.? Well, here's what I mean by that. This, this man responded to him in the way that he had been responded to by Joseph all of his time while serving Joseph. He learned this. He didn't learn this in Egyptian religious school. He learned this by living with Joseph. And that tells us something about the character of Joseph. He may have been Egyptianized, but he never abandoned his faith in El Shaddai. 
And he never abandoned his faith in Elohim because his servant knew about Elohim. In fact, he says to him, your God and the God of your father has put treasure in the sacks for you. Now, either this guy believed in the one true God or he was very much so exposed to it by Joseph that he had respect for Joseph's faith. So, there's some really good signs here for Joseph, right? They brought the money back. They brought Benjamin. But he's got to know if they can further be trusted. He's got to know if they can further be trusted. And so he's going to test him one more time here. But I want to show you again in verse 26 and verse 28 that God keeps his word. Notice two times they come in and they do what? When Joseph came home, they brought into the house with them the present that they had with them, and they bowed down to him to the ground. Did God say that was going to happen, church? Yeah. And again in verse 28, after he inquires, your servant, our father as well, he's alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. How good is God that he confirms his promises to us through the course of time? And that's what he's doing here to Joseph. He's confirming his promises. And he's saying to Joseph, yes, you're headed on the right track here. Keep going. Yes, you're doing the right thing with your brothers here. So then they start the meal. And there are several things here that these boys are going to experience that, that are just further used by God in their life to make sure that they know that he is dragging their hearts back to him. So they come in, and in verse 29, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, is this your youngest brother? Now, I don't know. I shouldn't say this because some of you are totally anti-card players, but I wouldn't want to play cards with Joseph. He can ask this question straight face. He knows. It's like, is this your youngest brother? Of whom you spoke to me? And notice what he says to Benjamin. Again, words really matter here. Notice how he addresses Benjamin. God be gracious to you, my son. If we had time, I'd take you back to chapter 33 and verse 11. Because it's in chapter 33 and verse 11 where Jacob crosses into the land when he comes back that, that he talks about God being gracious to him. He uses the exact same language here that his father had used way back in chapter 33. And in fact, there's only two times in the Old Testament where this blessing is used to address somebody. Joseph uses it here, and it's Moses who uses this blessing in Numbers chapter 6 when he addresses Aaron. It's one that you know really well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The only two times this blessing is used in the Old Testament, and Joseph uses it directly with who? Not all the brothers, but with who? God, be gracious to you, my son. You say, why is he doing this? It's a test for the other brothers. It's also the truth. He, he wants God to be gracious to his brother Benjamin. He has missed his brother Benjamin. And now that he sees him, he has this wealth of emotion that's coming over him. We see that in verse 30. He can't hold it back any longer. He has to leave. But he pronounces this blessing on his brother. 
And if you're the other brothers, aren't you kind of going like, that's weird. Why just him? Why just him? Well, then there's going to be some more things that God's going to use in their hearts. So verse 31, he washes his face, comes back in, he controls himself, and he says, serve the food. And it was Egyptian custom that Egyptians, one, didn't eat with, with foreigners, and two, if you were the most important man, that you ate by yourself. And again, I said this text is dripping with irony. The last time Joseph had a meal or that Joseph was present for a meal with his brothers was when, church? Do you remember? His brothers had lunch when they had thrown him in the pit. Do you remember that? They sat down and ate. And again, Joseph is apart from them, but he has the best table of food this time. Do you see the irony here? Like I said, only God can write a story like this. Only God can write a story like this. And catch verse 33. Who determines the seating order at an important person's party? Is it fair to say the important person? Like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to a wedding, who gets to determine where you sit at the wedding? Well, the bride and her family do, right? They determine that. They determine where you sit. You can't just go and say, um, I don't know, I don't like the people I'm with. Can I go sit over here? No, you don't do that at a wedding. If you tried that, I just gave you some important advice, okay? <laughs> They're told where they sit. And notice how he seats them. Oldest to youngest. And notice their response. Look at verse 33. You, you just... As they're being directed to their places, you can just see the brothers like, wait, how do they know? How do they, they get this in the right order? God working, right? Even in these small details, God working. And then verse 34 he tests them with mercy in the mercy that he gives to his brother Benjamin. So verse 34, the portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, which is unheard of in this culture. This is unheard of. If you went to a, to a foreign dignitary's house, an Egyptian's house, and you were invited to a meal there, they prepared you a separate meal. You didn't get to eat the good Egyptian food. They literally take the food off of Joseph's table and they bring it to the brother's. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. Okay, if it was just a little more, would you have noticed it? Would you have noticed it? Some of you who like your food, you might have. Right? You might have. Been, but, but when it's five times more, do you notice? Like five pieces of cheesecake to their one. Five pieces of prime rib to their one. Five baked potatoes to their one. Five Mountain Dews to their one. I would notice. And they noticed. They noticed this, but notice how they respond. And they drank 
and were merry with him. And that word, were merry, that's an English way of saying they got schnockered. They literally took it all in. This became a very happy occasion. And they got lost in this occasion with him. In other words, they're not paying attention to how Benjamin's being treated differently, which tells Joseph something really important here. There's not the sibling rivalry here with Benjamin that there was with me. And what Joseph does for us here is the same thing that Jesus does for us. He shows a compassionate, merciful heart to his brothers who don't deserve it. And isn't that what Jesus did for you? Isn't that what we celebrated here this morning? The compassion of our Lord? But we see that God is actively using circumstances to change hearts. I don't know what all your circumstances are. Some of you, I do know some of your circumstances, and I know that you're going through some tough ones, but I don't know every person's circumstance in this room. But, but this is what I know. This is what I do know. Our God loves us enough to use uncomfortable, hard circumstances in our life to bring change in our hearts that will bring glory to Him and ultimately good to us. Doesn't always make sense. We can't always connect the dots. And sometimes we are trying to connect the dots really bad, aren't we? God is always working for His glory in our good. And the adversity that Jacob and his sons are facing is not comfortable, but it is absolutely the catalyst that God uses to correct their hearts. Jacob went from being a controlling, fear-filled man, thinking that he could control all the controllables in his life, to a man that actually sought God's mercy. And he came to the point when he even prayed there, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. In other words, not my will, but yours will be done, Lord. If, if I'm to lose my children, I lose my children. It would be a big mistake it would be a big mistake if we complained about the circumstances of life. What does Paul tell us in 1 Thessalonians? In everything give thanks, this is God's will for you. This is God's doing. This is what God's using to conform you and change you to be more like Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never experienced fully the mercy of God. Can I submit to you? That if you think Joseph was merciful, you have no idea how merciful God is. It's infinitely far greater. We sang about it. His mercy is more. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. That's mercy. Maybe you'd like to talk more about the mercy of God. Come get me. Come get one of the elders. A couple of us were up front this morning. That guy right there, that guy right there, that guy over there, come get one of us and we can talk to you about how you can know the mercy of God. But let's pray this morning and thank our God for his wonderful mercy. Father, we don't deserve your mercy and yet you lavish it upon us and you lavish it upon us directly through the person of Christ. 
You offer us compassionate love. You offer us forgiveness. You offer to us all these things that we absolutely do not deserve because you're a merciful God. This morning, I pray for those in this room who are dealing with life circumstances that that have got them discouraged. They're tempted to be like Jacob and complain about their circumstances. Lord, I pray that because of our exposure to your word this morning, that we would see that, that you are a good God and you work through these hard circumstances to make us more like Christ or to draw us to Christ. We don't often think of it this way, but these circumstances are an opportunity for us to say, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And so, Father, even while we reinforce these truths in our minds as we sing at the end of this service, I pray that our hearts would find more than 10,000 reasons to thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.